Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. Genesis 6, 9 through 22. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. We're in a series on Genesis and uh, have been reading through some of the first chapters of Genesis. And as you could tell from Sam's reading today, uh, uh, we have hit the story of Noah. And, uh, you know, it's a classic one. It's a big one. Uh, it fills the imagination. I, I don't know, maybe you have the experience as you think about movies you watched as a kid uh, or movies from your childhood. Um, you, you have the feeling where, like, when you watch them again as an adult, they're, they're not quite like you remember, yeah? Uh, uh, Jim and I were chatting about uh, 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 Back to the Future and hoverboards, right? Like when you, when you watch it now, like some stuff ages well, some stuff you're like, oh, or, or the feeling of like you watch a movie like Goonies, maybe with your adult parents as an adult or, or with your kids, and then you realize, oh, wait, there's, there's more in this movie than I remembered, their being. Ratings were different back then or something like that happens, right? You know, you have this experience where the story as I remember, that movie for me was the never-ending story, by the way. I watched that thing faithfully, but I watch it now and you're like the giant sort of talking dog and the turtle in the swamp and, you know, just, you're like, wow, back then it just filled my imagination, but now I, I don't know. I, I want to suggest to you that as we hear the story of Noah, as we read uh, what, we, what we considered last week was an introduction to the story, uh, and, and today we'll pick up themes. We only read the beginning of the story, but it continues into chapter 7 and 8 and on in Noah, uh, sorry, in Genesis. But as we pick the story up, 
I think we'll get a sense for where it's headed. And I want to suggest to you that, that um, we get enough of it in, in what Sam read for us that today. We, we, we get enough of the story to recognize that maybe it's, it's not the story we remember, right? Like that, that we, we hear enough of the themes in, in the bit of the story that we read that it's not the story we remember. For starters, I think we're distracted by the animal. Okay, let's be honest. I really thought about showing some cute animal memes, but then was like, I'll lose you and you won't hear anything else that's said. You'd be like, put the cat back up there or whatever. I don't know, the panda. Uh, right? I, I think we're distracted by the animals and understandably so, right? They get a lot of attention in the passage, a lot of sort of detail. We, uh, Sam read for us in verse 19, every living thing, all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. An important point. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kinds, of animals according to their kinds, of creeping things of the ground according to its kind. Right? You, you feel the rhythm. Uh, the animals are a, a part of the story. They're cute. It's two by two. It fits well into children's songs. You know, the Lord told Noah, build an ark, right? Take the animals. I, was, I should have committed to this song, but uh, I, I bailed out last minute there. Right, it's the cute I imagery, it's the stuff of nursery walls, right? Like all the cute animals and, 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 and all of that. Um, even in the telling of the story, if you were to con continue reading in chapter 7 and in chapter 8, it gets repeated. The story is told in such a way that, that uh, the author sort of cycles us back through and, and elements of the story uh, are, are repeated uh, as it's told to aid with memory, no, no doubt. But even in the telling of the story over and over again, you know, it's just a few pages in scripture, but even in those few pages, it utilizes this repetition, telling us again and again that animals featured prominently. Chapter seven, take with you seven pairs, right? And talking about clean and unclean animals. And then later in chapter seven, again, it's clean and unclean. And then again in chapter seven, repeats, it repeats again, uh, according to its kind, according to its kind, according to its kind. And and, you know, our imaginations are, we're distracted by the animals. So they, our, our imaginations are, are filled. We, we begin to envision all sorts of the fun challenges that might prevent them, pre present themselves uh, in a situation like this, right? Three decks, all the animals. There's all sorts of places we want to go to think about. What's it? What, how did this work, right? And I, I think, though, outside of, like, uh, it's given to us, right, uh, in a clear sort of expression, the author telling us God is preserving creation, right? He is, uh, there is order, there is care here. That in the midst of all that's going to happen around this in the story, God is preserving creation. Outside of those details, it's really not the sort of focus of the story, but it gets so much of the attention in our sort of memory and our experience of like childhood, perhaps, even culturally, right? Just when we think about Noah and the ark. I think, though, that's a, I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but I think it's a distraction. We're distracted by the animals. But, but maybe, maybe you're like, I'm not, right? I don't even like animals, right? I don't even know why I put them on there, right? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe that's not you. I think, okay, maybe that's not you. But then maybe I think sometimes we hear the story as it was read this morning, and we're intrigued or even inspired by Noah, right? We hear this description of Noah uh, at the beginning of our reading. These are the generations of Noah, a marker in the book of Genesis. This is, a, this is a, a moment. Pay attention here. And then he tells us, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And he had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
Sam, you're in my head. How do I pronounce the names? I don't know. Did I say, did I say him, 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 him? Anyway, sorry, that's an inside joke. Just the two of us, right? He's like, why are you singling me out in this room? Please stop. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, it, it's a moment in the story, right, where we're like, okay, like there's something unique about Noah, and we're drawn into his story, maybe intrigued, at least intrigued, maybe inspired. You know, we've heard this description before. Noah walked with God. In the, in the section just before, the tedious bits of the genealogy, the author listing so-and-so had so-and-so, they lived, they had sons and daughters, they died. So-and-so had so-and-so, they lived, they had sons and daughters, they died, they died, they died, they died. And then we get Enoch was born, had so-and-so, and then, and then the rhythm, again, as we saw last week, is disrupted, and it says Enoch walked with God. We hear echoes of it with Noah. Maybe there's something inspirational here with Noah, maybe something different. He, he stands out particularly in contrast to his context, right? So even as we hear his story, Noah was righteous, blameless, he walked with God. You know, that's remarkable, but then it's situated within this context of so much brokenness, darkness. Verse 11, the author tells us the earth was corrupt God, in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold... It was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. You, you get the sense in which, man, sort of the brokenness and the sinfulness of the human heart has just run amok, and the result is kind of decay and, and disruption and corruption. It's like left on its own. It, it, it is, this is its effect. And then in that context, you read that Noah was righteous and blameless, and he walked with God. I mean, he feels heroic, epically so, right? It's repeated throughout the story, this, this uh, description of Noah, that there was something unique about him against that backdrop. It's where our reading landed in verse 22. It tells us after all these instructions, Noah did this. He did it. He did it. He did all that God commanded him. That refrain will be repeated throughout the rest of the story. Just as God commanded him, as God commanded him. Noah did this as God commanded him. I, I'll, I'll tell you my human reaction to this story, and maybe it's yours. I read a story like this, and I'm like, all right, all right. Tell me what Noah had going right. Just tell me what it is, right? And I'll do that, right? Just, just, tell, me, just tell me clearly what made him special and I'll follow his example. I'll, I'll do that. But sadly and somewhat frustratingly as a reader, I don't get the particulars of Noah's righteousness. Right? We, we don't get, like, the author doesn't sort of delineate. He doesn't just sort of bullet point list. These are the things that set him apart outside of these broad descriptions of righteousness and blamelessness, and he did what God commanded. It's not, it's not what I want is a resume, right? I want a resume, Give me the, like, really clear, this, you know, like the Ten Commandments. Just give me a list of things. This is what makes him inspirational and unique. And I could do those things. But I, I don't get that. We, we don't get that. All we really know about this blamelessness, this righteousness, is that it involved trusting God. That in this of all that was going on, it, 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 it meant trust in God. It's faith. The New Testament writers on the other side of Jesus, uh, in, in a, a book called Hebrews, they'll point back, they'll list some examples, they'll go to Noah, 
as an example of trusting God, which is, which is interesting. Even that's not very specific, right? It's, it, it's not sort of fleshed out in a way that I think at times we want it to be. We want particulars. Just list it out. Tell me why Noah, I mean, let's be honest. This is what we want. Just tell me why Noah was better than everyone else. So I can be like him, right? That's what we want. But, but as you read the story, as you continue to discover, wait, he, in many respects, he was not any better than anyone else. In fact, we find he was just as helpless as everyone else and in need of saving, right? That, that whatever sets him apart, it's not any sort of righteous quality of its own, of his own. It's his Trust that God is still at work in the midst of all that he is experiencing in the broken, corrupt world in which he lives. Again, we want a resume. We don't really get it. Because, again, I'll suggest that like the animals, Noah's righteousness is not the point. I I don't think, uh, again, it is a point, and one authors will point to, but, but it is not the sort of place we're meant to to sort of uh, hang our hat, if you will, in this passage, a phrase that I don't even know what that means anymore, but here we go. Uh, maybe you're here, and you're like, uh, you're like, I'm not distracted by animals, and I'm really not all that inspired by Noah, right? Or maybe you are, I don't know. But I think in the midst of all those, what, what the story really does to us and for us where we're ten, we tend to be distracted or, or maybe inspired, what, what we're really drawn into here is we find that we're confronted with God in the story of Noah and the flood. In fact, in fact what, what we find is that both Noah's righteousness, right, this sort of description of Noah as righteous, both whatever is good in him and also the world's sinfulness, its brokenness, its sort of disastrous uh, running away from God's good intention for creation, both of these things find their answer in God, in, in who he is, in a confrontation with his character. And we could talk about any number of things from the passage, uh, I think, that come to light, but I'll just give, give us a, a couple to consider this morning. One is his power over creation. As you hear the story of the flood, we read in verse 17, he says, Behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, and which is the breath of life, breath that he had given. He says, I, I, will, I will bring a flood. And, and immediately we, we feel a contrast, right? You feel Noah's helplessness. You feel the helplessness of everyone else in the story. Everyone's helplessness, is, everyone's powerlessness in the face of nature and creation. And the only one in the story with any kind of sovereignty over any of that stuff is God. God, we're confronted with his power. You get the sense in which, if if we hear the story of Noah and the flood in in the sort of ongoing story of Genesis, you remember at the beginning we're told when God created everything and it was formless and and void, there was chaos, and he he separated the waters is the language that's used. It's almost as if out of all that chaos and craziness, he created a space of of, of safety and and order and, and life. And now here in this moment, as what mankind has done is so broken and and marred and distorted this good creation. God says, it's, I'm going to sort of let that go. 
that safe space that I've carved out between the waters is now removed. There's no refuge. He's above all of that we find in this story. His power, we're confronted with his power over creation. But only he has any real power there. The rest of us are just adrift, really. But not just his power. I, I think we're confronted with something else in this passage, and it's his patience. And, and I, I'll grant, maybe like me, you read the story like, I don't know. Where do you land on patience in the story of the flood, right? Like, what, well, here again, I think we have to hear it in its unfolding context in the story. Just prior to this moment, we've, we've walked through generation after generation after generation after generation. And it's not the first genealogy even. It's, we've, we've, we've seen one other family line sort of try generation after generation. Things have broken. And here we feel it just kind of cascading. It's growing. It's growing. It's, you know, it's just a page or two in, in, the, in the book, but, but in, in the story it conveys it's year after year, generation after generation. Human sort of brokenness given an opportunity to mend itself, unraveling the very fabric of creation, generation after generation. All that God had intended for good, we distort and break, and injure and harm one another. You feel it just like, like water kind of trickling, flowing down and picking up steam and growing in intensity, cascading generation after generation. And what we're left with is this feeling that try as they might, try as you and I might, we don't just get better on our own. We don't just grow more righteous. We feel the effects of sin and chaos and disorder in this story. So much chaos, in fact, that it's, as, again, as we've seen God in this moment, uh, we, you can feel it unraveling the goodness of creation. And it needs to be washed and cleansed. It leaves us with a feeling that, that God's judgment here is less punishment and more uh, a desire to, to remake what has been broken to wash and clean and cleanse what has been dirtied and sullied and marred. We feel, again, if we, if we just take the moment, maybe the, either the nursery version with the animals or just the sort of like dramatic bit of the flood, we, it feels different, but in the context of the story, we catch a, a bit of God's patience, uh, hoping, perhaps waiting uh, for us to kind of figure it out. I think we're confronted with God, his power in the story, his patience, but one other observation, and we could make others, but I, I think we also find tucked within this story his, the promise of, of his faithfulness. We read it in verse 18, I will establish my covenant with you, he says to Noah. And you'll come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh you shall bring. And then this, this beautiful line, to keep them uh, alive. I will establish my covenant with you, he says to Noah. It's, it's again, it's not, a, it's not a word given in isolation. It calls to mind moments much earlier in the story. 
back at the beginning. As we've already seen uh, the chaos of sin sort of wreaking havoc in creation, God patiently sort of waiting for generation after generation to make it right or to, to improve, to, to catch what has perhaps been missed in this story. But here in this moment, we hear his commitment, his promise, his faithfulness that he will continue the promise he began in Genesis 3. That, that, that through Eve and, and a descendant and offspring of hers, and he, he, would, he would establish a, a hope that he would raise one up who would, uh, in whom uh, the, the, the damaging effects of sin on every human heart, he would un- unravel. He would make whole and good. A promise that had no doubt been lost in that world. Right? We hear hints of it threads of it. Maybe Noah's father ached for it. We read it last week, you know, in the midst of all that darkness, maybe Noah's father is hanging on to some thread. God, you promised something would work out here. And he says, when Noah is born, maybe Noah will bring relief and rest from all this toil. But a promise that had been so sort of hidden and covered over with the sinfulness of the world, it feels lost. And yet here, God, affirms that in this moment he would preserve, he would continue, he would promise. And, and, and in a covenant, in, in, a, in a relationship in which uh, our side would repeatedly fall and the rest of the story will be that story where our side of this um, covenant, we will, we will continually fall short, but God will remain faithful all the way. Uh, he, he will remain faithful. He will keep the story moving, the promise going all the way to, 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 to the moment we, we, we read about an interaction when God shows up in the person of Jesus and he says to all who would listen, any who are weary and tired, you come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I think we can, we can focus on a lot of things in this story. By all means, enjoy the animals, right? Celebrate them. Look at Noah and be inspired. But I think what all of us are drawn into this morning as we hear the story of Noah is a confrontation with God. Right? It is about Noah and the flood, but more accurately, it's a story about God and his promise to redeem a sin-sick world. Hearts broken, turned in upon themselves, sin-stained people, and, and all that we inflict in our sickness on this good creation and on the people around us. This is a story of God's promise to meet that brokenness and keep uh, his hope and uh, promise of goodness uh, alive. There are other moments like this throughout scripture. We don't have time to think about all of them this morning. I don't know what your story is here. Again, maybe Noah and the flood has always been about the animals and two by two. Maybe about Noah, just be like Noah, this incredible sort of light in a really dark moment. But today we're confronted with God and I, I, I wonder what that confrontation looks like for you and, and me, regardless of our sort of relationship to faith. I would imagine uh, for all of us in that confrontation, just as it was for Noah, is, is the invitation to trust him, to trust him. Maybe you have been confronted with God in all kinds of ways. I think of interactions with Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, righteous, self-righteous, broken, people all across the board uh, come into contact with him. And oftentimes it's a confrontation, but in that moment they're confronted with something of the character of God. And, and I don't know what that experience has been like for you. 
Maybe you've had a conversation in your own moments of encounter with faith. Maybe something supernatural, right? You've had an encounter in which God has moved in your heart or in your life. Maybe it's been today something that's been sung or, or said. My hope is that whatever you hear, that in the midst of all that might distract you, even in the midst of whatever and whomever might inspire you, you'll hear an invitation from a God who confronts you. In his grace, confronts you and says, trust me. Maybe you're here this morning and you're confronted with your own power, powerlessness. The sinful brokenness of your life, its, it's effects in your life the world around you. You have felt its sort of ravaging effects in your life. I hope that you will hear, I hope that you will hear the promise, uh, the, the power of his invitation to you, trust me. You'll hear again uh, his power in the invitation to trust. Or maybe you're confronted with your own string of failures. You, you have your own story of generation after generation after generation and try as you might, righteousness on your own seems impossible incredibly out of reach and elusive. I hope that you'll hear the patience in his invitation to you this morning. Trust me. Maybe you're here this morning. Your own questions about God and his character, his dependability, his faithfulness, his presence or absence in your life. In the midst of all that you carry around that conversation, I hope that you'll hear the promise of his invitation. Trust I want to take a hard left turn, right turn. We're going to take a hard turn as uh, we close and then take communion together. Uh, Much later in the story, much later in the story, um, a guy by the name of Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. So when I say much later, we're like all the way, you know, almost to the end. Right, we've gone through Abraham and we've gone through Moses and the Red Sea. Right, we've gone through uh, Israel and kings and all all, all sorts of things. Uh, and, And Jesus, we've gone through his life, death, and resurrection. And as a result of that moment, communities of people are springing up whose lives are being affected and changed based on their experience with and of their confrontation with God in Jesus. And Peter is writing to communities of people like that. Communities of people trusting Jesus, believing in his life, death, and resurrection. And this hope is changing their lives. It's changing them. And and in his communication with them, we read it in 1 Peter. He's writing to first Christians, the church, earliest expressions of the church. He's writing uh, to these first groups of people following Jesus. And he takes them to the story of Noah. In a moment in that correspondence, he takes them back to Noah. And we find that in that moment, talking to people trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, that in that moment, as he goes back to Noah, we find there expressed some of the very same traits of God that we read about this morning. He will will concede that Noah is inspirational. He'll call him a preacher of righteousness in a dark world. But... But where Peter will land will be on what it tells us about God for your life and situation as well. He'll draw us into his power and his patience and his promise to redeem people broken by sin. 
all of those themes will be present. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, writing this letter. For Christ, for Jesus, he suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And he'll go on to say, he'll, he'll begin to reference Noah, uh, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, he says, which corresponds to this. Baptism, he says, saves you as well. Not, it's not, not a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels authorities and this powers having been subjected to him what, what on earth does this have to do with Noah it's interesting to me that Peter calls on the imagery that we find, the truths of God's character and the story of Noah and, and brings it into your life and mine as we try to relate to Jesus and takes us through the waters, the floodwaters of baptism, God's work of redemption, his power over sin and the powers, his patience for a broken, unrighteous people and his promise to save, to redeem, to wash not just the dirt away, but to cleanse the conscience, the heart of the effects of sin. It's an incredible move that Peter makes. We're going to celebrate communion. We're going to celebrate uh, the cross. But Peter tells us that what Jesus did on the cross, his life, death, and resurrection takes us through the waters of baptism and washes us clean. Old things passing away, being made new. I want to invite you in, into that. In your life of faith, uh, maybe baptism is not something you've considered, or maybe you've had questions. You're like, this is a step in my faith, and uh, I've heard people talk about it, but I, 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 haven't, I want to step into this expression. We're, in a few weeks, we're still working out the logistics, but we're going to do baptism in, in, in here. And uh, we'll give you that information. But if that's something you have been thinking about or something you want to step into as a, a public expression of your faith, stepping into the waters of baptism, God washing and cleansing, we, we want to hear from you. I would love to talk to you. You'll get some instruction about it at the end of service. But we want to invite you into this step, this move in your discipleship. But Peter today... As we conclude, we're going to close with communion. He holds these two things together, these two things that in the church, this form us, communion around the Lord's table and baptism. Christ's work on the cross, washing us clean. Wherever you are in relation to that story, we invite you. We invite you into trusting Jesus with us. Will you guys? Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.